I think the major highlight for me has been a black female founder navigating the startup capital pool world. You know, I, I found that it was extremely shocking and it is my lived experience that 2% of the funding goes to women and even less goes to people of color. Dan is joined by a very special guest, Basola Shodende, CEO of Bearings Point Media. Basola is a very inspiring individual, not just for what she has achieved personally, which is incredible, but also for how she has taken everything that she has learned from her journey in the corporate, entrepreneurial and investment world and helping others to go further in the areas where she has pushed the boundaries. Be encouraged and inspired by her story. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders podcast. Basola, how are you? I'm well, very well. Nice to be with you today. So just tell our listeners, what does a day in the life of being a CEO of Bearings Point Media look like? Wow. <laughs> Busy. I think I'm a mom of two, so I've got two teen, t- tweenies, they say. So um, first in the morning is really spending time with my kids um, prior to them leaving to go to school. So luckily they can go to school on their own, so I don't have to do the drop-off, but it's important I spend time with them. So I do that to, to get that and really connect in the morning and get that energy to start my day. And then shortly after they leave... Um, I spend time with my team. I think, again, it's really important to have that early morning catch-up. So we tend to have a stand-up 8.30 in the morning. Um, we have a hybrid team. So we have teams um, in Nigeria, teams in the UK. And so we come together collectively and just share how the day has been and what we're expecting and any help we have. And I think that's been really helpful, having a small, young team and trying to form with a, with a hybrid situation. And then I spend the rest of my day afternoons in external meetings so and I kind of prioritize kind of how I allocate my time so part of that time is spent in terms of a relatively early stage company so really prospecting for new businesses speaking to organizations talking about what we do trying to win businesses um, engaging with angel investors and finally just donors who are supporting us on this journey as well so really external engagement at the end of the day. And we're not going to go there now, but I know you have a number of different roles. If you look at your LinkedIn CV, it's, it's quite ridiculous, to be honest. But we're going to come on to some details later. But I could imagine your day is very full. Do you get a chance to relax in the evenings or are you, are you sort of um, always on? I'm a Duracell battery. I'm always on. <laughs> Brilliant. I can last for three days and then I I rest and then I am plugged back again and then I go. I plug but, you back uh, into the main mainframe. Mainframe, yeah. Uh, you never you never quite stop, but I enjoy it. I get a lot of energy. A lot of stuff I do is really engaging and plugging in. And I think we'll talk about it in terms of um social reform. And I really draw a lot of energy from seeing that change. And so these are not um, these are areas that I, I do spend my time, but actively engaged and plugged in. That's interesting because what you're describing there is like your purpose and your mission is what you're living out. And so therefore you find fulfillment, right? It's exactly that. And I know it's one of those ways sometimes it's how to separate your purpose and who you are. 
And I think you've just hit the nail on the head. And so I spend, I read, I enjoy, I skip, I think, I write, but it's all interwoven in terms of this uh, personal purpose that I have. Yes. Brilliant. So taking a step back, can you tell the listeners a little bit of your sort of leadership journey so far? You sort of young lady, you know, relative young lady, but it's, um, you know, you've achieved an incredible amount so far. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So I think my early recollection of being a leader was when I was eight years old, um, going around the class and I said I wanted to be a teacher. So you could tell that either I, I like to be in control and to getting people to sit down and listen, or there was just something about me wanting to nourish, teach and educate. But I've always enjoyed um, leading and teaching and guiding. Um, in, sen- in my senior school, I was um, also the class prefect. Again, um, I'm quite competitive as well. So really bringing the, 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 the classmates together, um, planning for plays, school, sports, competition. Um, and I think... You know, when I look back, um, those nuggets of daily living, that leadership um, attribute has really helped harness kind of who I am. And so when I transferred those um, traits into my leadership style from a careers perspective, you know, I moved into financial services. And then you move up the role from being a junior manager to manager, director, CFO and MD. And I think the, the core leadership for me is still the same. It's all about nurturing teams. It's all about fostering good relationships with those around you and investing and coaching. And I think for me, it's always been enjoyable to work with just ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's kind of my strap line. And so um, if someone says so they can't, they don't have the ability or they don't have come from Cambridge or Oxford, doesn't matter. We take what we have and we see how we build. So I've always really enjoyed creating that alpha, the extra value in anything that I do. That's brilliant. I love that statement. Now, tell us, tell me a little bit. Uh, something you mentioned earlier was about your the MBA journey you've been on as well. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, really interesting. I don't know. I've always been extremely curious. So, I was the youngest person in my year doing the MBA, and I think even the dean thought actually it wasn't the right thing to do because I didn't really have that practical work experience. Um, but somehow they let me in. And what it was, is I was really, I, I enjoyed just being in the company of seasoned managers. And I think when we come to, through the thread of my passion and purpose, the mentoring and coaching is, has always been at the center of that. And so the MBA helped to really help me, who was a young student, learn from my peers, basically, how life really works. And, and I've always been, you know, really excited about being able to create new plans and so when I moved into the banking world, um, it was easy for me to, you know, um, apply all the tools and skill sets and building strategies, financial plans. And then I'll often get asked by family, friends, moms and aunts and pups to look at their business plans. Some of them were not really great, but you'd have to say, oh, auntie, this, I can improve this. And so I spent really ten, a decade helping mom, pop, aunties, just looking through and asking those questions. So for me, I found it really easy to transfer what was going on in the corporate world into just passively engaging with um, businesses as well. And I think all that I did whilst I was working, and I think it came a key moment in, for me in, in the corporate world when it was time to wrap up and say, look, I've helped a few businesses transition. Um, a good example, actually, was when 
an aunt said to me, she called and I was in London. She, she wanted to open an ice cream shop in Dubai with an Italian manufacturer. And we didn't know where to start. So I had to hold her hand, did all the negotiation and packaged it and ultimately got her the franchise license to con- conduct that business. So I felt that I had enough in me to believe that actually, if there was an idea that I wanted to execute, that I could be courageous this time. Because I think with founders, you need courage. And sometimes it's good to be the advisor and the consultant, but okay, when, when are you going to act it and be it? And so I felt like that, that transfer of moving from the corporate world into starting something that I would own was, um, was a leap of faith, but always just being courageous about it. So can we say it was the auntie that really gave you that courage? Can she claim that? I think she can claim that, actually, because that was kind of the last thing I did. But actually, if you can go out to an European manufacturer and broker business in, in the Middle East, then sure, right. you, can do, you, you can do it, right? So. And then, so we, we've got this big transition, this big leap into the entrepreneurial space, but... If I'm, if I'm correct, the idea behind Bearing Point was sort of rooted in personal experience. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how did that experience lead you to founding the company? Yeah, I think it was a pivotal moment, actually, a light bulb moment, moment for me. So I've always, as I mentioned, I've always had a, a fast and successful track record in finance and in, 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 in my career. And when I had my last role um, in financial services, I would honestly say it was a bit bumpy um, if, I, if I could be vulnerable. So I was the most senior black woman, non-Asia, in EMEA. And often I would have um, young w- women and uh, employ- employees um, from minorities' background come to me to want to have a one-to-one and a catch-up and really just sharing stories of how um, they can progress in their career. And I could resonate with that because I think it's okay to move very quickly within the middle layer, but when it gets to the glass ceiling, you know, how do you break that? And so their struggles resonated. And I thought, actually, let me start giving back. And so every year I dedicated time within my calendar where I would mentor 10 women or, or employees from minorities background and really coach them. And what I found was that actually what was a common thread amongst the stories I was hearing that they didn't really require large, big adjustments. They were just really tiny, um, small adjustments that they hadn't just been told something. No one had dished to them. I will come to that, um, what they needed to do. So after living financial services, I took a three-month sabbatical. And I realized that actually I really wanted to become a social reformer in a way that we talk about the ESG in corporate governance. And I would like to focus on the social aspect, which I thought was still being undervalued and underplayed in corporates. And so... At the point when I was thinking through the proposal for, for Barron's point, um, that was when we had the George Floyd matter and Black Lives Matter. And um, it then started to resonate that actually, could I have a media channel, which is Barron's point, where we can tell more inclusive stories. We can tell more stories of um, of people that look and, and, and sound like the diverse communities where it's the untapped market, the underserved market we talk about. And so it was really important, actually, that we often hear to see, to still believe it. If I see someone that looks like me, I can believe those stories. And so I felt like powerful personal stories became a key anchor to our social purpose and mission within Bering's Point. And so that's where that was birthed from. So I just want to talk about what was the origin of DISH and how does that work alongside Bering's Point? Because it's a great thing. 
Yeah, so Dish is a product, one of our products within the Variance Point Media in itself. So Dish was is it is an entertainment platform where we provide educational and entertainment resources for young adults. Because our research was telling us that actually young adults were seeking knowledge hubs that were created around these big questions, societal challenges, and creating a fairer world. And so we wanted to see how we could navigate this world of dislocated information to find these reliable and more personal touch points for their development. So the app itself facilitates that group reading and sharing of resources. And so we've positioned DISH really, which is a synonym for DISH, D-I-S-H, when you're dishing the gossip. So, you know, we want to DISH really to our audiences, the young adults, and we're offering here career tips, entrepreneurial tools, articles that trigger and drive social economic ambitions and political. And we say, for me, it's important to balance our ambitions within the recreational setting as well. So when we talk about work-life balance, and that's where the word edutainment really stuck to me, that I didn't just want DISH to be educational. We wanted the entertainment aspect as well. And so we, we, we wanted to bring in, again, literature that would celebrate sports, fitness, beauty, um, wellness, because we thought that, again, that was an undervalued characteristics, often ignored when you're pursuing your goals. So again, I'm a strong believer and ambassador that we need to do both now. It's work and play hard and, you know, and do the great stuff in terms of ambition, but make sure you have make space as well for recreational balance. So just for the listeners' uh, benefit, DISH is D-Y-S-H. It is. And it's an app that you can download and subscribe to and connect into all of that amazing educational and entertainment side of things. Correct. Now, obviously, relatively, you know, you've come out of this incredible corporate career. You're in a relatively startup into a scale-up phase. What have been some of the highlights you've had along the way so far? Yeah, so you know what? When when people ask me the question again, just to be really authentic here and be very vulnerable, I think the major highlight for me has been a black female founder navigating the startup capital pool world. You know, I, I found that it was extremely shocking, and it is my lived experience that two percent of the funding goes to women, and even less goes to people of color. So now Dish has successfully raised its first pre-seed, which is closed actually, in 150,000. You know, but to be honest, it wasn't easy. And I experienced everything that was ever said in the playbook. And now I'm fortunate that, I, you know, I have a few people who were kind to me to actually dish to me, you know, the reality of the startup world. So the highlight for me has been, okay, how do I, as Basola, who's had a successful corporate world, how do I learn again what I'm not going to read on the websites, how to grow and start my business? And so that is, for me, again, the core of my, my life, my purpose, that what I took in terms of dish from a, um, from a lived experience in the corporate world, I'm leaving it again in the, in the startup world. And again, my, my, my story is that in five years' time, I would be in a great position where I can then dish out to those who are starting behind me. And so that's what for me has been the greatest highlight in terms of celebrating the fact that I was able to navigate and, um, and raise, but knowing that actually 95% of minorities and women don't have access to networks to unlock the capital. And that for me is shocking. Taking that question a step further then, what are some of the lessons you've learned along the way? 
So the most important lesson, and, and, and even this is a lesson that, that I'm sharing is a lesson, because you have to be prepared to learn every day and you have to be able to come out of your comfort zone. And I think just because you've been successful in one thing, you might, you might have been a successful footballer, but now you're starting something different. And so we pivot in life based on where we find ourselves. And I think the most important valuable lesson is that we should never stop learning and we should never stop sharing and we shouldn't hide our vulnerabilities. Where you don't know, ask. Because if you don't ask, you wouldn't know. And that's the biggest lesson, even for those who are seasoned, that when you find yourself in a new pond, to find the right people and ask the right questions and get the support you want. You mentioned those people that have been kind enough to work with you. Have, have, have you felt like over the, as you've been on this journey, you're beginning to build that tribe and those people that are working with you and understand the vision and the mission? Is that something that's been part of that journey? It has been. It has been. And it's something that I need to get better at as well. Because often enough, um, I think as entrepreneurs, we're completely busy and we're meeting a million people every day or sharing ideas. But there'll be those who really believe in you or, or maybe even when it's not even fully thought out yet, but they're prepared to help you start that journey. And I think it's important to be disciplined, to have a check-in, a quarterly reviews with them where you can just sit and just say, this is how I'm feeling today. And they'll just almost validate it, that it's, it's, it's where you should, how you should be feeling. Because I think my last um, share uh, two weeks ago was, I feel like I'm behind. I'm like, oh, well, welcome to the club. Everyone's behind. <laughs> because again, often what you read on, in, on LinkedIn is, oh, we've just done this and we've just raised hallelujah and all of that. But no one tells you that actually the struggle is real and people are behind. And I think that vulnerability is really important that you have mentors come in to almost come with you on that journey and can pinpoint where you are and say, I've been there before. I'm just hanging there because it starts to change and it starts to, and I think that encouragement has been really helpful um, throughout my, my journey of being an entrepreneur. So what would, and you know, I'm going to ask for one piece of advice because I can already tell you could give so many, but for the younger or, you know, or maybe not younger by age, but those people that haven't started their entrepreneurial journey yet or at the beginning of that journey, what's one piece of advice that you could give them <laughs> so the one piece of advice is keep the day job <laughs> right it's, it's, it's hard to say that keep the day job because guess what without the cash you're going to go boss with the, on your idea so my idea is keep the day job harness it as a side hustle find an economics and then find a pathway to transitioning but um i wouldn't really personally advise anyone to just jump ship without thinking it through how you're going to transition because you still have bills to pay at the end of the day. Brilliant. I feel like we've got a podcast episode just in what you've said there, like advice for young stuff, for young entrepreneurs. I love that. That's brilliant. Um, I want to unpack that, but I'm going to move on because of time. Now we're going to go into another side of persona. So we've been talking about your sort of entrepreneurial journey, but alongside this, you hold a number of sort of really key voluntary positions. So tell us a little bit about that and why is that important to you at this stage? Yeah, so on the voluntary side, I have two organizations that, that I'm supporting and working with. The first one is the Scouts. And so um, the Scouts, they're the, the, the largest youth-led charity, young people's charity in the UK. And it's a passion I have. I have a passion for young people. I think young people are facing a lot of headwinds and turbulence, really. And so 
to be able to be the hand and the feet and the voice to listen to, to the experiences. And, and they say that actually, you know, 90% of the decisions that affect young people, they're not in the room when you're making those decisions. So it's important as a board member or a trustee to listen on ground the issues that are affecting so that when you get to the boardroom, you're authentic in kind of the way we're solving for, for tomorrow's generation. So I found that really helpful. Um, and then the other um, appointment that I have, which is the Church of England, <laughs> really. <laughs> um, I do that because, you know, I have a strong faith, but somehow I feel like I've been blessed with emotional intelligence to be able to deal with an establishment like the Church of England because it's very unique, it's very challenging. Um, but there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of pain. And it's kind of where's your purpose in there to really help lift kind of actually the goal of what the church should be doing, which is to be serving the needs of society. So finding myself in a fortunate place where I can play my part. And so I was appointed um, a church commissioner by the two act bishops in 2020. And I'll say this again on, on the podcast, like, as the first black woman who's ever been appointed into being a church commissioner since the whole church fund started. But I wanted to really commend the archbishops as well, because they're doing something phenomenal. I think when it comes to the church commissioners, we really take um, the social aspects seriously. And so they've been a, um, a real promoter of attracting to the top, really, women and those from diverse backgrounds. And I wanted to say really kudos to that, because... We are there to really help make us whole because when we're all here, that's where we're complete. And I've really found it satisfying and hugely rewarding and a privilege to serve in such a way. That's such an important um, thing to say, you know, is that your first-hand experience that is starting from the top in terms of diversity, in terms of equality, in terms of making sure there's well-rounded insight and, and, and opinions in that room. So that's really cool to hear. So uh, alongside this, we're having to move on again, as much as I want to talk more about that. You also hold a number of NED, NED positions, non-executive director positions. Just because you're not busy enough and you haven't got enough on your plate, you know, so tell us about those. I'm a Christian. I thought to share my faith, really, because, you know, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And that's so true, right? So much that needs to be done. And we could get burnt out. But yes, in terms of the net positions I, um, I, I hold, there's a common thread in there in, in terms of what I think I can contribute. And so I sit on the board of the Ombudsman Energy, where, you know, we're now in the period of energy crisis. We have consumers or um, um, utility bills and worry. And so to be at the center again of that story of poverty and what it means to help and give back. I think, again, you can see a central thread in that. And then finally, I also then, I sit on a venture capital trust fund. And it's, it's and I love that to bits because it's taken my experiences of not being able to tap into funding and said, okay, now I'm going to sit on a VCT board, understand a bit more how it works, what they're looking for, and then let's see how we can then use that to share, to dish, to encourage, and to get people on this journey. So, I think nothing is a coincidence. I think everything is interwoven in terms of God's gracious plan. It's amazing just to see that influence across so many different sectors, spheres of society, beneficiaries. I think that's that's brilliant. So, so taking a step back again, you know, you've got this um, incredible leadership output that's working across different spheres, as we said. 
taken a step back, who's inspired you? What's inspired you over the years? You know, do you have any, whether they be biblical people, whether they be real people, people you know, people you don't know, but do you have any people that you have in your mind that have inspired you along the way? Um, I feel like I always have to say my parents first. <laughs> you know, the, the Bible says to honor your parents. Your father. So my parents have always been inspirational. Like my dad's um, in his mid seventies and he's still starting up and, and businesses as well and working with um, with um, institutions. So he's like, like Forbes 70 on the 70 or 80 on the 80 is what you say. <laughs> that's, that's kind of his own accolade. You know, but they've been really supportive and really encouraging. But then when I step back away from my immediate support, I think what else has inspired me over the years? I would say my mentors, and I, I wouldn't name one of, one of them because I think there's, there's been a few. And it's the mentors that have been brave enough to break the status quo. They have said, I'm going to hire Busola. Oh, I'm going to put her on this board. I'm going to give her that opportunity. I admire that completely because I, I say to them, there's bravery in doing that and, and 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 they inspire me because if they can do that for me I can do that for others I can be the first for another person I can do that and I can give back and I think that for me it's and I mean I know you said we can always talk forever but I always want to share a story that I always say when I when I try and sit on this podcast or, or stand on the stage I went for a job interview when I was nine months pregnant <laughs> So <laughs> I know. So I remember wow. this interview, um, financial services as well, male oriented, and they were going to probably they probably never hired a woman. I don't know, but I was in the lift wobbling, um, you know, because I was about to. <laughs> and I think when the door opened and I walked through, and they saw this pregnant, heavily pregnant, nine months uh, pregnant for eight months, I think their face you could tell that what's going on. <laughs> But anyway, to move, to fast forward, I got the I got the job, basically, and then I got to hear the stories that happened whilst they were deciding on who to give the job to. So there was a guy who was ready, and there was Basola who is better, but we have to wait. And she would have two young kids, and can she really do the job? But he took a gamble and said she'll do. And then when he was leaving the role, when he was moving, and he said that was the best hire he ever did. To remember wow. that. And I say that to everyone who's listening, especially women, or even the men who are hiring, that actually sometimes when you go be, when you when you go against the tide and do something quite brave, that it can really pay forward. So that was just the story that I, I love putting in there. That that was just wow. Love that story. I can't quite get over the look on their faces when you came out the lift. I could just imagine it, but you know, what a what a brilliant story. And I love one of the things I'm going to comment on is a lot of your stories, a lot of the things you say, you reflect it to the future generation. So now you're telling this story to the future generation. You're on these boards so you can help the future generation. I just, I don't know if you're doing it on purpose, but I can just reflect back that thread to you. It's like everything you do has this real direct relationship and impact on the future generation. So I just want to commend you for that because that's what I believe one of the one of the key character traits and purposes of leadership. I really do. So taking a, taking a slightly sideways question now, what do you do for fun? 
and all this amazing purpose-driven stuff and you've got these two these tweenies i'm sure keep your hands full what does persona do for fun or, or just to relax so interestingly so i love cooking and entertain right. yes i love cooking and i think one of the things that and when i cook i'm very detailed so if it says chop the onions really tight because it allows my brain to disconnect from thinking about other things so because i'm following the recipe and it says 20 meal or 60 meal and then cooking it up and, and coming up to a dish itself i think the ability i'm always looking for something that would help me disengage because if i go for a walk i'm still thinking <laughs> I need something that actually helps. Like finding cooking with a knife, a sharp knife, certainly does does the trick and allows me to disengage quite quickly and concentrate on what I'm doing. <laughs> so all your meals like follow to the recipe. They taste good. They cooked in the right time, right temperature, because you've been following the recipe. So I do that, but then there are times I would just say, "Look, we have to eat, right?" And so I have time for fancy recipes, and then you you just put it all together. And my daughter would say, I, I know you've just done that because it doesn't come out right when you've done it. <laughs> when you've tried to bake a cake without the recipe. So again, it's a lesson in life that actually sometimes the recipes, the playbooks, the, the texts that we've been given are there for a purpose to really help us create a wonderful meal at the end of the day. So final question, although I've got so many more questions I'd like to ask you, but final question just for our listeners. You know, we ask a lot of our guests this, but what's the one piece of advice you'd give your younger self? Uh, because I've, I've, I've now gone into the entrepreneurial world. So when I was, after my MBA, I was really bold and audacious. And I actually came up with, and I'm not kidding you, a version of Facebook. And I still have the manual. But I didn't have nowhere to start, basically. I, I just and I just kept it on the shelf. And so um, I look at that and say, the younger version of myself, what would I do differently? I would just say, I just needed to, what would I do? It's interesting. I feel like sometimes there's time and space and there's time to grow and there's time to learn and there's time to develop and there's a time for everything. You know, and I, and I think maybe, yeah, the advice to my younger self is there is a time for everything. There's a time to start up, but there's a time to learn. There's a time to be in the corporate world. There's a time to just understand what it means, you know. And I think that impatience now that we see today, that consumerism that we see today to want it now, I'll be saying to my younger self, actually, you know, let it bake a little bit more before you launch out. And that would be my advice. And again, that flies in the face of culture and even sort of modern business culture, you know, how to be a success quickly, how to make your, you know, make your million in, in you know, year one and how to generate MRR of this, this and this. And, you know, so many of the messages our younger people buy into, both those of faith and not of faith, is that success can happen quickly and success can happen now. And you can be um, an influencer overnight and all of those things. And that's wisdom right there, what you've just said. Persona, it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thank you for your openness, uh, your vulnerability, and uh, your wisdom and insight. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Wasn't that a great episode? And just before we finish today, we've got some things coming up which I wanted to let you know about. Firstly, we've got the wonderful summit coming up in March 2023. And that's an event bringing together Christian entrepreneurs, investors, creatives, innovators together in London for a one day summit, which is going to be absolutely brilliant. Now, for now, if you could just join the waitlist, 
which is at wonderfulsummit.com. Register your details for more information. We'll have a number of other events coming up leading up to March 23, which we'll keep you updated about. But for all information, if you go to wonderfulleaders.com and register on the email list, you'll be kept up to date. As always, please do subscribe, share, leave us a review, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. Thank you.